about like two seconds for it right now, actually. But uh, <laughs> no one actually like like one person might stumble upon this. I think, and that'll be that'll be amaze balls if that happens. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you're not like actively like broadcasting this. No, I'm not actively uh, getting people uh, to to look at to look at how awesome you are. But uh, just uh, which I should I probably do that. But no, uh, yeah, I just it's more like archive. Type yeah. of thing and so like, no, that's fantastic good, good yeah cool um yeah i was just i was looking through our archive and i was just like yeah, i know we had brad on before when was the last time we had brad on it was like april 19th 2012. it was yeah i remember i was in a little conference room in new york city like because i was still working at my old yeah. job and everything so it was uh yeah that was a long time Ages and ages ago, it's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, it's great. Cool. So, uh, I guess we should get started then. Hello, spacers from Austin, Texas. I'm Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, we talk modular web design with Brad Frost, the web designer who created the meta model of atomic design. He's a sought-after designer, speaker, and consultant about responsive web design. His new book, entitled Atomic Design, explains the concept of modular design as well as positioning it in the workflow for multi-device web developers. The book is out now in print and ebook versions at atomicdesign.bradfrost.com. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. Uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Teleject. T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T, where I try to be witty in spite of my many, many typos. CSS DevConf 2017 is in New Orleans this October. Early bird tickets are on sale, or at least they should be, at cssdevconf.com. The Virtual Scalable Vector Graphics SVG Conference is taking place on February 15th with Chris Coyer, Sarah Drasner, Amelia Bellamy-Rhodes, and many more experts. You can take 20% off Registration with the code non space show when you register now at svgsummit.com. Again, that's svgsummit, one word, dot com. Also, set it, forget it with the non space show newsletter. Whenever a new show is ready, they'll be notified in your inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. As always, you can find the show notes and links discussed in today's episode at nonbreakingspace.tv. If you like the show, please tell others about non space and where to find it on iTunes. Now, on with the show. Uh, you've like uh, you like I, like I just mentioned like you've been on our show before, and um, but I, I wanted to uh, bring you back on because uh, it's always uh, after writing several books about web design myself, I always. Like it to uh, bring people on who've written a, a new book, help promote it. It's uh, the Atomic Design book, which is an awesome cover and really minimalist. I love it. So, um, but yeah, so can you? I know you have a whole book about it, you have multiple pages about it, but can you summarize what the book is about? For- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, essentially, Atomic Design is uh, sort of a mental model. Uh, about thinking about our user interfaces as a hierarchy uh, that allows us to sort of create better design systems to better serve our 
user interfaces. So, um, and the book sort of introduces that methodology, but it also talks about sort of why design systems and pattern libraries and style guides are so important now. Uh, and then it goes through um, sort of pattern library and style guide sort of tools and what goes into a successful pattern library. Uh, and then it goes into basically everything that goes into making and maintaining uh, a, a successful design system. So uh, that's it's definitely been sort of a hot topic uh, over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's it's gotten a lot of traction, um, just the concepts of, of modular design. So it was really a, a lot of fun to sort of explore that in, in detail. And is that why we do that? Like, is why I talk designs needed because modular designs, like, like, why is that important? Yeah. So, so to sort of back up, I guess, uh, to without getting too far into what atomic design is, uh, atomic design is is basically sort of five distinct stages um, of thinking about a UI that all sort of happen concurrently. But it's like you could sort of break down a UI into these sort of five. Uh, distinct stages uh, as I sort of define them. And so it's atoms, molecules, organisms, templates, and pages. And, you know, uh, organisms are more complex than molecules, which are more complex than than atoms and stuff like that. Um, and why that matters or sort of what led me to sort of start thinking in this way is that I saw that, you know, people were starting to think about things more in terms of patterns and stuff. And that's fantastic. And some of the first uh, pattern libraries that started getting released as well as sort of the growth of, of tools like bootstrap and foundation and stuff like that, they, you know, classify things as, as modules. So, you know, everything's modules and patterns and stuff, and that's great. But uh, as I saw more and more of these things sort of get rolled out, I was like, man, <sighs> It's great to to think of modules, but it's essentially we're going from modules to completed pages. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you know, I get that. But at the same time, like, is that, you know, can we maybe take that further? Is there a way to be more deliberate with it rather than it's like, cool, here's a, just a bunch of patterns. And then we just sort of somehow magically turn them into our final pages. So that's what sort of led me to say, okay. Uh, you know, maybe we could think about this as, as sort of more, you know, sort of concrete steps or, or sort of break this out, break this down a little further. Uh, and so that's, that's, I think what's served me very well is, is basically uh, thinking about things uh, in a little more of a nuanced way than I guess existed before uh, atomic design. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think everyone understands like, um, and this could be like a little basic way of, of, of thinking about things, but uh, you know, you have your your source side includes or your includes or you bring those in, and then you then you also have all, on the extreme like Bootstrap, which is like here's a whole system if you want it, you know, just you know start marketing it up and use a style, but uh, but to have actually have that granular like modular approach that you say, but I like the granular approach is like the atomic structures where you're like oh here here's this small atom of markup, and then you build on top of that. I think. And using that as a, as a, as a, as a system rather than, you know, chunks of a, of a page or a system that'd be, that's a pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, you know, sort of these very, varied levels of, of complexity is sort of pre, I'd say like 
one of the things that I think is is sort of unique to atomic design is sort of making uh, delineating between sort of relatively simple components and relatively complex components. So I call relatively simple components uh, uh, molecules, right? Where basically if you were to explode, say, a little sort of um, form field cluster, so that, that that might be comprised of like a label, an input, and maybe a note about that input, for instance, you know, like some some instructions or like here's what this field is for or something. Those are that's that's a sort of like a relatively simple component. If you were to blow that thing up, you'd you'd be left with sort of a handful of HTML tags essentially. Right. Um, but then that field, of course, gets included into more complex structures, what I call organisms, and that might be a whole contact form, for instance, right? So you have several instances of that same uh, field component, uh, that field molecule, uh, uh, you know, a few different times, right? Name, email, uh, and so on, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, so that's that's where this sort of idea of thinking of things as a hierarchy as sort of I, I think of it as like Russian nesting dolls right where like yeah. this sort of more simple things are included in the the more complex things which are included in the even more complex things which are included in you know until you get a sort of a finalized web page but you're able to sort of depending on your needs like if you're if you're designing or developing this thing you know you're able to sort of home in on the area you need to, you know, so sometimes like as I'm well, actually just today for a client project, I'm working on a footer. So I'm just homed right in on the footer. I don't necessarily need to show it in the context of the homepage or whatever, but I'm just right. able to work on that sort of component in isolation. But then of course, I also want to make sure that it jives well with, you know, with the rest of the page. So I, with atomic design, I'm able to sort of simultaneously isolate it into its own little sort of chunk but then i'm also able to sort of you know include that in all of my different pages and make sure that it, it looks all right you also introduce pattern lab which i know if uh, we'll put in the show notes but we've had dave olson uh talk about the pattern lab too that came out um would you say pattern lab is like the heart and soul of i'm totally like softballing that question for you but but how would you <laughs> how would you describe pattern lab then i mean just like yeah, in terms of, as it relates to atomic design yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to describe. Actually, I still, you know, after all these years, I actually still find it hard to describe. But basically, Pattern Lab is, you know, so atomic design is a mental model. Essentially, it's just a way of thinking about a UI. And Pattern Lab is a tool to bring that sort of mental model to life. That allows me to to, and now others, I guess, it allows me to to work in this way to include atoms into molecules, into organisms, into templates and into pages and stuff. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a pattern library tool or style guide tool, but I don't think, I, I think that sort of sells it short and that's not actually what it does. It's, a, it's actually where I do all of my development, essentially, <laughs> like all of my front end development gets done in Pattern Lab until it comes time to like integrate it with a back end or something. So, so Pattern Lab is is uh, uh, Brian Munzenmeyer that that runs the uh, Node version of it. He sort of does a good job, and Dave also is sort of describing it as like a bit of like a, a laboratory, sort of like a front end, like sort of pattern based like laboratory. It's like a workspace that allows you to create these patterns 
swap out data uh, without having to spin up like you know a lamp stack or whatever. It's yeah. it's sort of like a, a lighter weight uh, sort of you know, way to, to sort of include patterns within each, within each other and also sort of swap out like lorem ipsum text with like sort of some representative text. Yeah. And so with Parallab though, like, uh, it's not, uh, it's like, it's, it's like, uh, it's like a starter kit, right. Is, is one way to think about it. Would that be true? Or like, you actually have to bring your own CSS rules to it. It's not like a bootstrap where you download it and you're like, Oh, wait, here's all the stuff ready to go. It's actually yeah. like, it's actually just a empty. And actually, I think you make that point in the book. Is it's like when you took a screenshot of the opening screen, it's like, hey, don't worry <laughs> if it looks too too plain. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's the idea, right? That's right. Like, you, you have to come in with your own brand and your own your own vision of what you need. Right. Exactly. It's it, it's not a it's not like a competitor to Bootstrap or Foundation, or it's not sort of providing any answers as far as how you should write your CSS or markup or JavaScript or anything like that. It's so it's totally agnostic and it's left up to you. It's, it's essentially the workspace. Essentially it's a, it's there to just sort of help stitch everything together. What yeah. you're actually designing and developing is still totally up to you. Um, and in fact, we actually created a couple sort of starter kits that included things like bootstrap and foundation and stuff. So it's like pattern lab, sort of the shell, and then you could put, whatever you want inside of that shell, essentially. Okay, cool. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, and that goes with, um, and and doing this is kind of smart because, you know, like you, especially as a freelancer for, or an agency developing the app or, or, or product is just that, uh, just, I will go back to Dave Rupert's statement and you mentioned in the book as well. It's like, uh, we need to start making tiny bootstraps for every client instead of just, you know, a site or a static site or, or whatever like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so with pattern lab, what, what I'll often do is sort of on my end, you know, there's typically a handful of components that I know I'm going to use and reach for sort of, sort of irrespective of whatever sort of client project I'm working on, probably going to have some sort of, you know, form stuff, a couple image sizes that are, or, or, um, you know, sort of a card pattern or something like that. And even if it's placeholder and I'm going to like totally radically modify, uh, the, the markup and the look and feel of it, it's like, I at least sort of have that stubbed out right there in pattern lab at the very beginning of a project. So I'm able to sort of quickly, uh, you know, reach for those and, and build things very quickly. I mean, in clients, absolutely love you know going oh i think that we should have this sort of pinterest style grid or whatever and then i'm like you mean like this and then they're like oh what'd you do it's magic (laughs) so so that that stuff is that's obviously a testament to like just pattern-based design and development or whatever but with a tool like pattern lab where you're able to sort of have you know your your sort of custom setup um you know, and sort of have that stuff ready to go on deck. Uh, that's obviously, you know, a big uh, saving as far as sort of uh, development time and stuff goes. As much as I love marking up card components from scratch, like every time, some yeah. people get a lot of joy out of that. And like, I get it. And and yeah. I'm, I'm sort of like that. And, you know, there's nothing more satisfying than just like, writing like an open HTML tag or something. It's like, oh yeah, like I could handcraft this website. But, you know, once you create your umpteenth card, you're like, oh, okay, like maybe I don't need to reinvent the wheel this time. Yeah, exactly. I understand that. 
yeah, because uh, especially if you're on the same project over and over again, you don't want to go. Uh, I, and, and that's one of the things that you also mentioned, like, is you get that human error. Um, I don't think you mentioned as a human error per se, but like you do a UI um, asset uh, collection or audit, a UI audit, mm-hmm. I think that's what you call it. And then you actually like you go to a website and you actually, here's all your search form buttons and this is what they all look like. And they don't look the same at all. They look totally different from yeah. section to section and so that. And I think that's like super telling in terms of how, uh, you know, consistency is, is needed or yeah. is actually missing from a lot of sites. Yeah, yeah. And and like that that word like human error is is spot on just because as you yeah, traverse around a a, a website and you see, you know, seven instances, it, forms are I think maybe one of the best examples of that just because there's validation, there's accessibility issues, there's all sorts of of different considerations from a both a you know, technical and sort of UX standpoint. And if you can get those things right, and codify them as patterns and then just reuse those patterns, you get that stuff for free, right? It's it you reduce that that, you know, oh, if you have 17 forms, you don't have to make sure that you're worrying about that that those same issues across 17, you know, different forms. You you sort of take care of it at the pattern level. And then anywhere those patterns are are utilized, you get those gains for free. Um, so that's that's huge, and that especially in like large enterprises and you know people uh, organizations where like compliance and stuff like that really matters. That makes it a really easy sell about like why this stuff matters so much. Yeah, yeah, and then, um, one thing I do want to talk to you about, and that I found very interesting, um, just from what I've seen, like we we do conferences, uh, a lot of them actually per year, um, is that. Uh, and we usually get this kind of pinpoint problem is that uh, people will say like, I love this X, Y, Z, but I, it's going to be hard to convince my boss or get it uh, adopted or whatever. But uh, one of the things you have in your chapter, you don't call it people. I forget what the name of the chapter is, but it's about dealing with people. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and it's mostly like how to get people to adopt a, you know, a pattern lab and the Tumic, um design mental model. And so I just wanted to, uh, get your thoughts on to why that that chapter is important. Or, and, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that's sort of something. I mean, I'm technically, you know, a big part of my job is sort of consulting with with companies and going in and giving workshops and stuff like that. And 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 yeah, just being at at conferences and stuff as well. You you do you hear that over and over and over again. It's like, love everything you said, but you know (laughs) and it's you know i think that that's great um you know it's a it's at least like a step in the right direction that's better than you're full of crap (laughs) but uh but yeah it it does and and this goes with anything i mean you know i've i've been fortunate enough to to be involved in you know sort of responsive design stuff for a long long time as well and i i know that you know you've obviously been very involved in like the web standards movement and stuff like that so you've seen history repeat itself just a number of times where it's like here's clearly a better way of doing things or what's like the sort of right way of doing things but obviously whenever it's different than the thing that you know people are used to you're going to run into conflict that's just inevitable right so it really becomes a matter of of sort of how you sell it, approach it, what you talk about, what you don't talk about. And I think that that's one of the, one of the things whenever people say, 
yeah, but people aren't going to get on board with this or yeah, but I can't convince these people very often. I think that they, they assume that they have to go to their boss and say, Hey, for this project, I would like to do X and do I have permission to do this? By the way, this is going to involve, you know, changing things up a bit, uh, you know, rocking the boat a little bit. Um, you know, this sort of breaks our existing sort of workflow or whatever. Um, and I, I think that that's, if you give people the opportunity to say no to something, they're, they're going to say no, <laughs> they're, they're, or, or they can, you know, like you have to, you have to be really compelling in, in your arguments in order to get them to go, uh, you know what, like that, that sounds, uh, you know, it sounds like it makes sense. And, you know, we will assume a little bit of risk to make this happen, but like for something as simple as, as sort of treating our user interfaces, in sort of a more modular fashion, like we already do that, especially developers back to like what you were saying earlier about like sort of server side includes or whatever. It's like, you know, these are not new concepts. So it's just about being a little bit more deliberate with how we treat that includes folder, how we treat these patterns and stuff. It's just about sort of bringing those, those concepts to the forefront a little bit more um, and paying attention to, Oh, I'm using this card again over here. And so rather than marking up that card again, um, you know, by hand, you know, I'll re- I'll create a, a, a component, a reusable thing, and then include that thing. Um, and that's really all that goes into it. And your your clients, your bosses, your your sort of colleagues, your like non-sort of designer and developer colleagues, like they don't really care about that. They care about the outcomes of that. You know, you know, we're, we're trying to get this page template done in, in a week, you know? And so that's, you know, if that's what they're thinking about or like, how much money is this costing me? Are we going to launch on time? Stuff like that. Those are the things that they're worried about. Um, so you don't necessarily need explicit permission in order for you to sort of approach your, your work in this way. Um, you just get to say sort of, Oh, by the way, the way we got this project done on time and on budget is because we, thought about things in this way. So, so it's more, if you set it up as like this, please boss, let me do this, this thing that is clearly right and will help save us a lot of time. You're, you're introducing the, the chance for them to swat it down. Uh, and largely they're, you know, they're uneducated on, you know, on sort of a lot of these concepts. So it really becomes your job, um, you in the sort of broad sense of like, if you're working on a team, to sort of do what's right, irrespective of whether or not you have expressed permission to do so or not. And the same goes for performance, accessibility, responsiveness, stuff like that. It's, you know, do do your job, do your, do your craft's best practices to the best of your ability. And some things, yeah, will require, you know, you sort of sticking your neck out a little bit and you have to be willing to sort of know which which fights to fight but when it comes to modular design and thinking about things like you know atomic design and stuff like that it it's something that we're already doing uh we're just sort of trying to be more deliberate with it so 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 that feels like i i feel like we're we're in better shape to adopt atomic design or, or sort of you know similar sort of mental model than we are to say responsive design that obviously involves like 
very visible, <laughs> uh, you know, results on the front end where it's like, whoa, this, if I'm at, you know, 960 pixels, like it looks okay. And then like whenever I, I squish it a little bit, it like sort of freaks out. So that's obviously a, a tougher, or I should say was by now it's, you know, it's, it's pretty well adopted, which is right. fantastic. But like that was a tougher battle to fight. Right. Um, whereas, whereas sort of like atomic design and design systems are like, we're already doing it. We're just being more aware of it and more deliberate with it. Right. I think also you'd like, um, you know, you, you also have your, as your, almost as a mantra, like you don't even like, you don't in the book, you don't even sugarcoat it. You just like, uh, ask for, for, uh, forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just like, yeah. which is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, almost badass, I would say, in a way. In, in a <laughs> uh, I've, I've never come across someone that has gotten fired for for like do for doing their craft's best practices. I right. I've seen people get into hot water by making a big stink about it. You know, again, right. which is why it's it's sort of better to fly under the radar and just do it rather than, you know, stomp your feet and, you know, be all negative about it. So, right. so it's, 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 there is, there's like a fine line there, but yeah, but nine times out of 10, if you were to come back and go like, Oh, by the way, like this is, um, you know, totally accessible and, you know, inflexible and performant and in modular, um, sort of after the fact, no boss is going to go, Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hang on a second. I didn't tell you to do that. Get out right. of the <laughs> right yeah and then also i feel like people uh would you say like they don't need to go vertical to get approval they can also just go sideways and and i guess play a little bit of politics but it doesn't seem like that much of politics if you uh touch your colleagues about work and say like hey what if we you know let me take a look at this pattern lab and uh this this you know atomic design and see how that goes and get their buy-in yeah and that way you can you know then you have like you know then you have a team and an army to uh go vertical and yeah yeah, it's definitely it's definitely helpful. Um, just with the concept, I have a whole section in um, in chapter four about sort of like pitching patterns and selling it, and and I talk about what happens whenever people go, yeah, that all sounds great, but time, money, you know, whatever, like any other excuse, right. having like that that doesn't necessarily mean, you know that's a hard stop. You can't continue to think about things in this way. It's just a matter of like, it sort of has to go a little more covert. Um, but yeah, the more you can get your colleagues jazzed up about it and on your side and sort of, you know, get them to go, Oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Whenever it comes time to like, let's say you launch a project and then again, you sort of go, Oh, by the way, you know, this is, we did this in a more modular way and this really worked for a lot of people and you can have other people back you up in that. Like that's huge as far as getting that sort of grassroots support and then eventually making it an official, uh, sort of, sort of, uh, initiative. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. But yeah, you're the, like well, the first book I've read. I mean, like, I could like, I read everyone's book about what, about the talk design, but, uh, I just, I read yours, but, um, about or eight other web, well, the point I'm trying to make is like you're the first book I read that like actually goes out and talks about selling the concept and making sure people have the have that. And is that uh, just do you think it's just a result of you going around to a lot of conferences and finding people who who do ask, you know, oh, like, but my boss won't approve it, or is that just something that you naturally think there is that 
happen a lot. They, they... Yeah, I, I'd say that it, it harkens back to those sort of early days of responsive design where we would just sort of, you know, I come from the agency world and there's um, at the beginning of any project, there's typically a lot of um, just inane... <laughs> overly sort of it's it's like this big fireworks display of like trying to sell the clients on you know the moon and the stars and everything in between and stuff whereas i'm i'm more of a sort of pragmatic sort of person i guess uh so um so rather than putting together some you know really expensive deck uh slide deck with a bunch of sort of mock-ups and sort of things like that what I would do in the early days of responsive design is just um, uh, one of the projects I did was um, was Tiffany and Company, so you know the jewelry company, and they had um, you know their existing desktop site, and so what I did is I spent sort of a half a day taking one of their product detail pages for like a ring or something and making that responsive. And then we went into their office with a duffel bag full of devices. And then we, we had two tabs open. We just like laid them out on the conference room table and, you know, we had their, their existing sort of desktop site in one tab and then my little sort of prototype in the other tab. And we had all their, you know, C-level people in there and their vice presidents and stuff. And we were just like, okay, like, here's what this responsive design thing is. So I, you know, squish it on the browser. But then I'm like, you know, knock yourself out. And so they all, you know, picked it up and were able to sort of see it's night and day. Yeah. You know, that that whole, <laughs> you know, the difference between a, a responsive experience and a desktop only one. Um, so that that's what sort of that whole notion of getting getting approval by way of conversion rather than sort of a bunch of long winded sort of convincing and words and stuff like that has always been sort of at the heart of of sort of how I go about things um, just because again, you can talk people's ears off about this stuff and you know, nine times, or I shouldn't say nine times out of 10, but a lot of times you'll get pushback because it's like, well, it's just your opinion or whatever. And so having things like data, having things like, you know, quantifiable sort of, you know, benefits of doing something one way over another has always been sort of like baked in there. And of course, that's what allows you to do the good work in the first place at the very beginning of a project, um, you know, that's, that sets the stage for everything. And I've been on more than enough projects that I, I care to admit where the, the stage wasn't set properly and the, the project crashed and burned, yeah. you know? So, so I think that it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of like, it's a little, why I approach things in that way is because I've been burned so many times of like, please, for the love of God, do not, do not just sort of come in and sort of, yeah, like set yourself up for failure or whatever you're, cause you're just going to burn yourself out and, and be really disappointed and want to quit your job and stuff like that. And that shouldn't be anybody's mentality. So. No. But yeah, I think I, I remember a couple of bank, uh, you know, they went to Artifact Conference, which is, you know, um, and they and they're told their, their story. It was like a testimonial in a way of uh, how they had to, uh, they didn't they didn't actually talk to their bosses at all. They just actually just made their site responsive, I guess, uh, kind of like uh, retroactively. And uh, and so, like, if you had a desktop browser, 
it would still get served up the old site, but then they they, they kind of tinkered it behind the scenes and they just adjusted it to like if you came up with a uh, some sort of multi mobile device, uh, it would actually like be responsive. Yeah. And then, and then they went to their boss like this is what we did and and then um, uh, I still remember that their vision. I don't know. The, I don't forget the story was, but it was like the visual I have in my brain is that uh, there are programmers and and they're engineers, right? And they're like developers, and they're in a meeting with other suits and ties people in suits, suits and ties, and they're just asking like, how did our uh, click throughs, our success, our conversions skyrocket so much in the last quarter? They're like, <laughs> and they're like, okay, well this is because they're responsible web design. So, yep. were yeah. Yeah. Hard to hard to argue with that. It's yeah, real hard yeah. to argue with that. Yeah, at that point you have buy-in from your boss. At that point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're in a room full of suits and they're asking like, "Why? How would you do that?" <laughs> it has like that. a name. <laughs> so um, I did want to like this is kind of just a minor uh, question I have uh, reading your book, and um, and this is mostly from me being a print designer coming into a web back in the day. Uh, you discussed like the page metaphor is is a bad concept. And that uh, we still have pages, and, and in fact, the, the the on the top of the totem pole of atomic design, if I can mix my uh, metaphors, is uh, is the page mm-hmm. uh, concept. And so, um, I mean, you say like we should step away from that, but then at the same time, you embrace it as well. Is that yeah. what do you think of the page as this thing that we call? You know, yeah, like, yeah. No, it's a, it's it's really interesting, and uh, it is. It is an interesting point that I'm sort of contradictory almost with it, where it's where on one hand, sort of in chapter one, I basically say you know, the, the, the page has been with us for a long time and it served the web really well in the, in the early days because we, you know, we're coming from somewhere and, you know, since you're a print designer, it's like I'm making things for print and now here's this new web thing. Well, how do I make things for this new medium? And it's, you know, to be able to apply similar concepts in a new medium that you're used to already is super helpful to get people on board and excited and sort of actually working and making things and stuff for, for the web. Um, so it did. It's, it's, I think it served its, its purpose. The, the problem, though, is I, I think you know, the, the word brochureware comes to mind, right? Wherever a lot of people are going, oh, okay, well, essentially we're just making PDFs and we're putting them on, on the web or whatever. And that really does sell the web as a medium short as far as like what it's actually able to do. And so, so but then the other, sort of the other issues come to mind, and this is something that I've lived through, especially in my agency days, is people mapping out sort of a scope of work for a project and the project manager is going through and saying, okay, well, you know, we have 30 pages to build. Um, Brad, how long does one page take to make? And, you know, we'll multiply that by 30. And it's like, well, it sort of doesn't work that way because, you know, once you have a header, once you have a footer, once you have that card pattern, once you have that whatever, uh, you know, the, the sort of level of effort to create each subsequent page becomes less and less and less. Um, so, so in that respect, like from a process standpoint, the, the, the page doesn't, doesn't really serve us, uh, uh, anymore. Um, on the other hand, just because, you know, whenever I started thinking about atomic design and I'm using these sort of chemistry heavy, uh, sort of 
words like atoms, molecules, organisms, and tons and tons of people have written me to say like, why not call them, you know, why, why not call <laughs> templates and pages like ecosystems and, you know, all of these other things and, uh, or proteins and then ecosystems and stuff. And it's like, because as I learned the hard way, your clients start thinking you're nuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so eventually you sort of have to get into language that, you know, yeah. makes sense for like the yeah. actual thing. And, and, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, you, turn off your internet connection and go to a web page in, in Chrome or whatever. And it says, you know, this web page failed to load or whatever. So it's like, you know, it's, it's for better, for worse. It's, it's very much still a part of the language of the web. It that doesn't necessarily mean that as makers, uh, we need to, you know, buy into thinking of the page as like the printed page essentially. Right. So that's, that's a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, yeah. Um, and also I think it's something we just, we will have to, uh, I think it's just a, either a word that we have to, a word or vocabulary that we have to just, uh, I think deal with in, in such a ways because, yeah. uh, the, the thing that I, I mean, I bring up is like, we saw the concept of above the fold. Yeah. Right. And that comes and goes in vogue, right? Like, yeah. It was like before it was like, oh, it's terrible to have the concept above the fold. Now it's like, oh, we need to have our CSS in line above the fold and, you know, yeah. for, for perceived performance. And like, oh, geez. yeah. 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 And so, yeah. And so, always, they're double edged swords, I think. It's, a, you know, on the, the way I sort of interpret the whole fold thing is, is whenever those conversations undoubtedly arise, it's more, we try to unpack it as you're saying that this thing carries a lot of weight and should be prioritized over this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and like whether or not that like officially means it needs to be in the viewport whenever the page loads, uh, it's more about sort of hearing their desire to, you know, that this thing is, is actually really, really important. That's a, that's a re real big goal for this screen. Right. Yeah. Like that. So cool. Uh, let's talk about uh, your book. How, did you write it open source? Was that out in the open when you how, how you wrote it? Yeah, it's a, it's not open source, but basically what I did for the process of of writing it is I basically shared the work as I was writing it. Oh, um, nice. I I knew that everyone that I've known, I think including you, like I, I can't remember if we t chatted in too much detail, but it's like any, any author I've, I know and I've talked to, you know, say that their projects have taken, you know, a year or two to, you know, from soup to nuts, right. Beginning to end. It's like a two year process. And, yeah. you know, especially like if you, you know, if you're working with a company and stuff and you're dealing with like release schedules and all of that stuff. So, and I'm, I, I've been talking about atomic design, uh, you know, for a while. So I'm like, man, I really don't want to like, you know, have been talking about it and then go away for a year and a half or two years and then suddenly come back and say, Oh, by the way, you know, here you go. Um, and, and I'd sort of come off of a project, um, that sort of unfortunately went South um, where, you know, we're working on sort of a, a web product sort of thing. And it, and it, uh, unfortunately sort of fizzled out and we didn't have anything to show for it. Um, I was of the mentality. I, I like 
sharing a lot and, and sort of being open. And I think that uh, it's it's a good business model to to be open, as open as possible and transparent and stuff like that. Um, and the other people didn't see that way. And so whenever the thing went south, it, uh, you know, it, I lost a year of work, essentially. So I'm like, okay, well, I definitely don't want to do that. Um, so that's why I made the decision to write the whole thing in the open. I set it up so that people can pre-order the eventual ebook um, from day one of the project. And so that was pretty crazy just because, you know, from day one of me writing the first word of the book, I already had people committed to me yeah. finishing the project. So from, <laughs> from an accountability standpoint, it was a tremendous motivator because yeah. it was like, I can't just go, ah, this is too hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, never mind. I'm just going to back out of this. So it was, you know, whenever you have a bunch of people counting on you to, to finish it, it, uh, you know, it, it really puts that, you know, in the front of your mind all the time. So, yeah. um, so I'm really glad I did it that way though. So it was a bit like, um, it's like Kickstarter without Kickstarter, essentially. Right. I just sort of like set up a Shopify store um, and I just published it to uh, a GitHub repo and I use um, DeployBot, uh, the, the sort of automatic sort of deployment uh, service to sort of send it to my server. So every time I would commit, uh, it would bounce over to my site. And right. so, and then as I would write, you know, some some days I'd have better make better progress than others. And if I wrote a big sort of substantial chunk, I would, you know, share it, tweet it and whatever, uh, the same way it's like writing a blog post or whatever. It's like, Oh, Hey, I wrote some stuff. Um, did you find people, um, correcting or any suggestions? Oh my God. Yeah. It was awesome. It, It was, um, this one morning I woke up and I had, um, this guy in Japan, uh, so I woke up to just a flood of emails that were all of these like pull requests or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, here we go. Some, somebody's just being a jerk and, you know, is getting nitpicky. But then I actually went into each one. I'm like, yeah, he's right about that. Yeah. He's right about that. Oh, right nice. about that. Right about that. Yep. That that's a misspelling. Yep. That should be a new sentence. And so it was incredible just because, you know, one, I wasn't done with the book yet. Like I wasn't even close to being done with it. And to already have that sort of level of help was great. But then also just by sharing it, um, you know, I would share something and then people on Twitter would say, this makes a lot of sense, but you know, here's my apprehension about this or, you know, Oh, did you see this tool or, Oh, did you see this thing or this article that talks about this, you know, a similar concept. And so just it immediately just widened my perspective on the topic. And then I was able to, you know, roll that all back into the book. So I like, I'm absolutely a hundred percent pleased with how I went about writing it and, and publishing it and all of that. Um, if I had to do it again, I would do it exactly the same way. Cool. Yeah, that sounds an awesome way. Would it work? Yeah. It's it, the the, the hard thing about it. The hard thing about it was typically whenever people announce a book project, it's either available to order then, like, or in a week or something. It's like, oh, pre-order start soon or or whatever, and you'll get it in your mailbox. 
you know, two weeks from, from then. So it was pretty much like, especially as soon as people give, give you money, they're like, where's my thing? <laughs> where's my thing? Get my thing done. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because like all of that stuff typically happens behind closed doors, you know, the whole right. authoring process, the, you, right. you know this better than anybody. You know it's it's not easy to to write these things and clear out your schedule and do all of that stuff and the editing and the right. all the logistics that go into it. It's like typically that all happens behind the scenes. So it's it's really hard to manage um, people's expectations, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's also better. I think is because. I go away for like eight, six months to a year or whatever, and then I come back. Like I have a book that no one knows about, and uh, but now like you know you open source it, you can tweet about it, and people give you give you feedback, and that that's awesome. Yeah. No, it definitely it definitely helped. Um, I I want to write about it just because it's yeah it did it sort of garnered interest in the project you know throughout the entire trajectory of the thing so that by the time I actually said like hey it's done mm -hmm. it wasn't just coming at it from um you know like I announcing it cold blindly or whatever um you know it was I I had a lot of people that were anticipating it and whatever and I think that 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 helped certainly as far as the uh you know, the response to it. Uh, right. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, how can people get a copy of the book? Which uh, yay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's at, uh, atomic design dot bradfrost dot com. Uh, and then the, the shop is shop dot bradfrost dot com, but that's all, it's all on the main atomic design dot bradfrost dot com. So you could either, buy the book there or I, I actually did leave up uh, the entire text of the book uh, online too. So that was, that was sort of something I was going back and forth on. I'm like, Oh, well, mm -hmm. once I have this thing done, do I, do I sort of pull it out, you know, and, and force people to buy the book. But I, I found it really helpful um, to one, be able to sort of point people to, you know, so if someone says, oh, I have a question about this, I could point them to an H2 in chapter three or whatever. You know, it's like, here's this section that addresses exactly that. So that's been a huge help for me rather than going, well, first thing, you got to buy the book, <laughs> then you got to get it shipped to you, then you got to open up to page 47. Right, um, right. So that's yep. been really helpful. Um, and then just, yeah, just by way of, recognizing that not everyone's in a position to be able to, to purchase it. And that's, that's right. not really the main reason, you know, I wrote the book is to make a bunch of money. Like that's, that's not it at all is to share this information. So, so I'm, I'm happy I'm able to still have it be sort of financially successful, I guess, but also like still be able to share the information for nothing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. I think I think it helps sell the book, like you, like, you, like you mentioned there. But uh, I think as as someone who's a conference organizer who's seen you speak for several years now, uh, I just loved having the book. Uh, almost, I, f I always felt like it was a polished Brad Frost presentation I <laughs> because I, I, I see. Oh, this I talk. appreciate that. Yeah, I, I see it uh, develop and grow, and uh, I was just like, wow, this is. I remember, I remember him talking about this. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, this is great. This is awesome. It was, and, and that was, that was a big part of it. It was, you know, it's, I've been talking about a lot of this stuff and, you know, I've been thinking really hard about a lot of this stuff and it don't get me wrong. I, you know, I absolutely love 
conference speaking. I love blogging. I love, you know, all these other sort of vehicles for communication, I guess. Um, but to, yeah, have it all sort of be, you know, have it with a, a cover and it's you know, all nice and with a bow on it. Like I, I love having that, you know, to be like, this is a lot of what I care about, or this is like, you know, a lot of what I think about, um, sort of all wrapped up in one thing is extremely satisfying. I'm sure as, as you know, as an author, it's like, here's a lot of thoughts on a thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in a digestible sort of format. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, uh, congrats on the book. Uh, I know it's, it's tough work and, uh, do it. Uh, I also want to say thanks for the Ron Papil of Ronco name check in the book. I, I got a big kick out of the uh, set and forget it. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, <laughs> funny yeah funny story yeah so so yeah ron papil said it forget it total like you know telemarketer guy or, or uh, tv like personality guy or whatever and um owen gregory um copy edited the book and he's based in the uk and um and he's also he's a he's an absolutely lovely guy and if you're writing a book i highly recommend like hiring him because he's just smart as as, as anything but yeah. he he read that and in the edits, he's like, uh, <laughs> this, this Ron Popeil reference, I don't know if, if that sort of made its way across the pond. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's staying in. <laughs> it's like, the one thing I was adamant about. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had a good laugh when I read that one. <laughs> I, had to go, I had to go back and like, did I just read that way? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was I'm glad. I'm glad. See? That's it. That that just made it right there. That made it uh, the decision justified right there. All right, cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for for being with us today. And um, and again, uh, definitely. Uh, what's the address for the book again? Uh, Atomicdesign.bradfrost.com. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank, yeah. Thanks very much for having me. It was a great chat. Okay. Awesome. Anytime, man.